Great, okay, well, I'm glad to, yeah, glad to be back to talk about wisdom again. We're in our series, Words of Wisdom, uh, exploring Proverbs and the, the other wisdom books in Scripture. And uh, to start off, I want to talk about a documentary that we saw uh, not too long ago. So it's a documentary on Netflix called Som, S-O-M-M. Um, has anyone seen it before? Am I the only one? Okay, maybe I'm the... <laughs> so it was out a little while ago, and it basically it follows four, um, four men who are studying to pass the master sommelier test. So they want to become master sommeliers, you know, the people that know everything about wine. And they're already advanced sommeliers, and they're, yeah, training to pass this test. And apparently, this test is like one of the hardest tests that you can that you can write in the world. Like, something like only 8% of people pass it. There's only around 250 master sommeliers in the world. And one of the reasons why it's so hard is because of the blind tasting test. You know, it's that test where you're, they're blindfolded, they get six wines, and they have to be able to judge and, and discern certain things about these six wines, and I looked it up on the, on the site for the exam. They've got about 20 minutes to do it, and they need to know things like, um, just from their, their, you know, their smell and their taste, they need to know the type of grape that was used, they need to know the country of origin, they need to know the, kind of the, even to within the region, very specific of where that wine came from, and even the year, the vintage of when it was made all just blindly tasting and smelling. <laughs> and six wines, you know, some say that's like an impossible task, really, that they're trying to achieve. So hence why very few people are able to, to pass, you know. And so it follows these guys, and they are spending like every waking moment studying for this, practicing, practicing, even they're helping each other out, you know. And uh, yeah, it's quite the journey that they're on. So there, the tie-in to, to wisdom here, okay, is that in the Proverbs, it often talks about our senses being involved, especially the sense of sight and of listening. It talks about how, you know, we need to kind of see uh, what's good and what's bad and that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, we're going to be looking at some verses today that say that, you know what, we're not actually that great at that when we come to, to the start of the journey in wisdom. I mean, you, you can imagine the average person trying to take that test, that master sommelier test. We'd be lucky to be able to judge whether it's red or white wine, you know, let alone all those other things. And so the Proverbs kind of say, well, look, humanity's kind of like that when it comes to what's good for us, when it comes to, you know, what's right and wrong and, and that sort of thing. We're we're kind of like blindly doing a taste test here without much to go from. Our, our Put it in the, the vision aspect, our vision is impaired, so to speak. So the path to wisdom that we're going to talk about today involves coming to terms with that. It involves admitting that. It takes humility. It takes surrender, as we've sung about. But the good thing is that God wants to help us. God knows it, and he wants to help us. He wants to... Um, for us to trust in him so he can guide us, and also to restore our vision, so to speak. So that's what we're talking about today, and I'm going to be drawing from just a couple of Proverbs. That's, I guess, the unique thing about reading the Proverbs. They kind of they stand on their own, so to speak. Once you get past 
the prelude, you can really spend a lot of time on just one proverb, just taking them individually to, to hear what it's trying to say and really soaking it in. So that's why I'm only going to be using two different proverbs today um, to, to draw from. So the first one is in Proverbs uh, 16, and it's verse 2, and it's the message translation, and it says, humans are satisfied with whatever looks good, but God probes for what is good. So humans are satisfied with whatever looks good, God probes for what is good. (laughs) And you notice what's at play here, there's goodness mentioned. Um, there's sight mentioned, you know, we're talking about what looks, what has the appearance of goodness, and we're talking about desires here as well. It, it talks about what humans are satisfied with, what we desire, and what satisfies that desire. And it's this idea that sight and our senses are kind of linked to our desires. When something looks good, we, we want it. When something tastes good, we want it. Humans are satisfied with whatever looks good. Good. And, you know, as you can probably guess there, it's not just talking about literally what we see with our eyes, even though there's a lot of good examples I'm sure we could think of. You think of, uh, you know, junk food, fast food, that sort of thing. We're satisfied with that. It looks good. It tastes good, even though at the end of the day, it's not that great for us, you know. But uh, it's talking about at a kind of a deeper level here, too where we're talking about our understanding, our discernment, our, our judgment about goodness. And their goodness, it's speaking in that holistic sense that, that wisdom is concerned with. Remember, living well in that larger sense, especially when it comes to morality, especially when it comes to justice and those sorts of things. So it's saying that humans are satisfied only with what appears good in that um, and, but God probes for what is truly good for us. God is concerned and wants for us what is truly good for us. So let me give an example that, that came to mind for me. Um, we as a family, we love going to the Museum of Natural History in Ottawa. We go kind of once a year, especially our kids love it. And the last time we were there, there was a, an exhibit on plastics, actually, on the history of kind of how the, how the plastics came into our world. And I guess it was around, I think it was around the 50s or something like that, where, you know, it was nowhere near as prevalent when it came to packaging and it came to how we store our food and how we carry around our drinks and that sort of thing. It was in very different packaging. It was in sustainable, reusable packaging. But... More and more, because of the fast, as the world got faster and fat, busier and all of that, people desired convenience. That was what we wanted. That was what we thought, okay, that's good for us. We need convenience. And plastics were brought in to meet that need. It turned out that, that making, putting water in, in plastic bottles, actually it started apparently with Tupperware and that sort of thing. So stowing away in plastics, it was much more durable, much more easier to, to work with, and then it evolved into single-use plastics. And as we know, bringing us to a point where we kind of got into trouble here. We've, we desired convenience too much. We produced too much plastics to meet the need. And next thing you know, we've harmed our environment and harmed ourselves. All because we were pursuing what seemed good 
and desiring what seemed good, but not taking a step back to say, well, is it really good? Is it really good for us to want convenience that much? Is it really good that we're meeting it with plastics and that sort of thing? So that's a bit of an example of, of what we're talking about here, that humans are satisfied with what appears good. God probes for what is good. So the idea is then that I see this proverb saying is we're kind of visually impaired when it comes to what's really good for us. We think something's good. It seems good to us. Our eyesight's telling us, yeah, that's great, you know, but we're visually impaired. We don't know that it's actually maybe harmful for us in the end. And also, there's another psalm I want to bring, or sorry, another proverb I want to bring in here. Because not only do we have trouble discerning what's good, we can fool ourselves into thinking something's good, even if maybe we know it's not the best for us. So Proverbs 21.2 says this, We justify our actions by our appearances, but God examines our motives. We justify our actions by appearances. God knows the truth. God examines our motives. So there, now we're talking about justification. We've, you know, we've decided that's what I want. That's what I want to do. And now we've got to tell the story to ourselves of why that's a good thing. <laughs> You've got to convince ourselves, maybe convince others about why it was the right thing to do or the right thing to go for. And there, this proverb is saying that we're really good at fooling ourselves, at deceiving ourselves into saying, yeah, that was the best thing for us. That was the good thing to do. Uh, James Crenshaw, he's written some great things on the wisdom literature. He puts it this way. We possess an infinite capacity for self-deception. We can, on and on, we are good at deceiving ourselves. Sometimes we, didn't, we do not even have an inkling of the fact that we've tricked ourselves into choosing a path of self-destruction. We're on the path to self-destruction. We don't even know it. Uh, in fact, we remain ignorant because the path we are traveling seems so rational. <laughs> it just, we can explain, it just seems, it just kind of makes sense. We can really make sense of it. So it, that brings us along it more and more. Um, psychologists call this confirmation bias. You've probably heard that before. It turns out our brains are kind of wired to do this. <laughs> our brains are, once we've made the decision, this is what I want, then our brains are good at justifying that. We, we actually, it, we, what we do is we stick to the evidence that confirms our conclusion, our, our judgment, and we, even subconsciously, we avoid the evidence that might speak against it. Kind of like, oh, I don't really like that, but I like this over here. <laughs> like, this is what this is saying. And so we're good at, de at deceiving ourselves. As that psalm said, we justify our actions by appearances, by what seems good to us, that story that we tell. But God examines our motives. So with the plastics example, you know, I'm sure along the way, some smart people said, wait a minute, like, if we keep on this train, this is going to be irreversible. This isn't good for us. It's not good for the environment. But they, I'm sure, ended up justifying it to themselves. Well, this is kind of just the way it is. The world is so fast-paced, and people need this. How can we expect people to change? You know, that sort of thing. Not taking a step back to look at it from God's point of view and think, well, wait a minute, like, 
is it good that we're this fast-paced? Maybe we should slow down a little bit uh, so that we don't need that level of convenience. Uh, you know, taking a step back and, and saying, well, maybe it's the environment's worth sacrificing convenience for. <laughs> we didn't go there. We kind of kept going on the train, justifying our actions, even deceiving ourselves. And that's what these two proverbs, I take it, are trying to warn us about, trying to remind us about, that humans are visually impaired when it comes to goodness, <laughs> so to speak. And so I take it when I read these that the path to wisdom then really is coming to terms with this, being honest about that, realizing that that's the case. And you know what? There's a link here to the fall in Genesis that I see. There's a link here to that story in Genesis with the tree of good and evil. I'm sure all of us, I'm sure, know the story quite well. We know that there's this tree in the garden, the knowledge of good and evil. It represents humans going it our own way. Humans saying, thanks for your help, God, but we're just going to do what we want to do now. <laughs> you know, it, it represents rejecting God's wisdom, God's understanding of goodness, and, and relying on that in relationship with him and kind of going our own path with it, really severing ourselves from the source of goodness and what's good for us. And God warns Adam and Eve, he says, if you take from that, if you eat from that tree, that's the path to death. That's not a good path. You don't want to go there. So when the serpent comes to tempt Adam and Eve, he's got some work to do. And what he does really parallels what I've been talking about from the Proverbs, that the Proverbs are teaching us. And he, he appeals to Adam and Eve's sight right off the bat. Here's what the serpent says. After Eve is told the serpent, no, we're not allowed to even touch that tree. We'll die if we do. The serpent says, um, surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's such an irony there, eh? Like, he's, the serpent's trying to say, well, you may think that now you're in a good place. Actually, now you're blind. <laughs> now you're blind. When you eat from it, then you'll be able to see clearly. But the Proverbs have just been telling us, actually, it's the reverse. <laughs> it brought about our blindness when it comes to goodness. And then, as the story goes on, it fits perfectly with what we're talking about here. Eve takes another look. After listening to that and thinking about it, she takes another look at the tree. And here's what it says. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, it seemed good all of a sudden. It seemed attractive and that it was attractive to the eye and was desirable for making one wise in, in terms of the serpent's idea of wisdom. She took some of its fruit and ate it. So the visual impairment begins <laughs> right there. She looks at it again, and it seems good. It seems good all of a sudden. And so she wants it, and she takes from it. Even after God has just finished telling her, it's not actually good. Don't go for it. They convince themselves that it is good. And, and the story goes from there. And, and that's a, it just really, I think, shows us our predicament, our situation. Um, Thomas Aquinas, I like what he says. He's, he's uh, you know, philosopher, theologian. I'm sure you've all heard of him. Um, and he says that this is our, all of our situation. He talks about it in terms of that now we have corrupted and deceitful 
desires because of all this. And he says that this is what's the case. A person with corrupt affections, you know, desires and all of that, conformed to the things of this age, does not have a right judgment about the good anymore. We've lost the ability to judge what's truly good. While a person with right and healthy affections, by the renewal of the mind through grace, does have a right judgment about the good. And Aquinas gives a great example here. He talks about taste, and he talks about how he knows about diseases that cause people to, that it distorts their sense of taste. And he talks about how there's people that when they have this disease, their taste is reversed. And so what's really bad for them and foul and not good, they, they, it tastes good, and so they crave it. And, you know, the reverse is true. The things that are good, they don't like the taste of it. They don't crave it. And uh, I did a quick, you know, Google search, and uh, it turns out that, yeah, these diseases do exist. I mean, we know, I'm sure you've heard of the ones that take away your sense of taste, but there's actually some that are maybe more rare that really actually distort it, that, that change the way you taste things. And one uh, website I looked at, uh, the National Institute on Deafness and Other Communication Disorders, here's what they say is the danger with this. When taste is impaired, a person may change his or her eating habits. Some people may eat too little and then lose weight because of it, while others may eat too much and gain weight. And loss of taste can cause you to add too much sugar or salt to make food taste better. So in other words, when your taste is impaired, when it's distorted in some way, you crave the wrong things and you end up hurting yourself. And the same is true of our, how we can kind of see things in terms of what's good for us. In some cases, we've lost our desire for the good altogether. In other cases, we, what, what is actually harmful looks good. And so that's what we want. But even though it's going to hurt us in the end. So that's like our situation as the Proverbs lay it out for us as we link it back to Genesis and put that together. But this isn't just a message about the bad news. <laughs> it's also about the good news because <laughs> God wants to help. Um, in each of those things, it talks about, okay, that's our situation, but here's God's situation. And we know that the book of Proverbs is all about us, God helping us, <laughs> all about God helping to reverse these things, helping us to grow in wisdom. So God wants to, by us trusting in God, he wants to guide us and even restore our vision for what's good. And that's where we get the beginning of this really starts then on trusting in God. And we get that amazing passage at the beginning of Proverbs, in Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. The solution here is for us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely then on your own understanding. Our understanding's distorted. It's not reliable. So we got to trust in God. Lean on him. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And he'll make your paths straight. Right now, we don't know which way to turn, but God will make our path straight. Do not be wise in your own estimation. That's the story of the garden. Um, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will bring healing to your body and refreshment to your inner self. That's so good. I want to read it again, and I'll read it from the, the message translation. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. 
He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. So that's meant to help us here. That's, that's really the solution here. And it makes sense since, we, since our understanding, our perception is impaired. We need help. If you, you know, if you have trouble seeing, <laughs> you need to go to the doctor, get some glasses so that you can start to see more clearly. And that's true here <laughs> when it comes to us running to God. And <clears throat> the thing is, I know that this can be scary, especially at first. I mean, we're talking about now going beyond our own understanding of things, even kind of setting that aside at times. And that can be scary. It can mean doing things that are uncomfortable, maybe. It can mean kind of going contrary to what we want to do. It, it means a lot of trust. And also, it's hard. No one likes to hear that they got it all wrong. <laughs> you know, no one likes to hear that, okay, you know what, you need to take a step aside here and start trusting. And that takes humility. <laughs> that takes, as I said earlier, that takes surrendering, which is a very hard thing to do at first. I'm going to talk at the end about, I think, a really important clue to how we can start on that journey. But I just want to move on a little bit more here with, uh, with what we're talking about. Because when we do this, when we trust God, I think God wants to help restore our vision. That's what Aquinas' point was. As through grace, we can start to become more kind of reliable when it comes to knowing what's good and what's bad. And I take it that as a community, that's especially true. We need each other in this. I think it, the idea is like, as the body of Christ, we can begin to discern more and better what's good and what's bad as we, as we trust God, as God shapes us and teaches us. It says he will make your path straight. He'll keep you on track, right? God will guide us every step of the way, especially when we're unclear about what to do and what's good in a situation. But also, God wants to keep growing us in wisdom. He wants to restore our vision. And so Proverbs 20, 12 says, The ear that hears, the ear that's actually listening, that's taking in wisdom, and the eye that sees, the eye that can start to see what's really good and what's really bad, the Lord has made them both. It's all a gift from God. It's all on this journey with God. And I want to, before I finish off, I want to give this last passage that talks about this so beautifully in Psalm 37, 3 to 6. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust, rely, and have confidence in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed securely on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires and petitions of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him also. And he will do it. And here's the promise. He will make your righteousness, your pursuit of right standing with God. Another word for righteousness there is, is justice. What's good, what's right, what's fair. He'll make all of that shine like the light. And your judgment like the shining of the noonday sun. So that you can see how that psalm beautifully links to what we're talking about here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave off there. And uh, just to, to summarize, you know, what we've been talking about, we've been seeing how when it comes to, to you know, discerning um, what's good and what's bad, we're visually impaired, <laughs> so to speak. We come to the path of wisdom at the start 
visually impaired. But God knows that. He wants to help. And by trusting in him, we can be guided <laughs> into what's really good and so that we can avoid what's bad and also that our vision can be restored. And you might be wondering if, you know, if you're kind of thinking, yeah, okay, but I'm kind of lacking, like I'm scared of this, you know, I'm, I'm nervous about this. And that doesn't stop. Even as we go further along in our journey with God, it just kind of means new steps <laughs> of faith, you know. It, new places where we're like, whoa, this is getting too complicated. I don't know what's right in this scenario. And then we got to trust God again. So each step of the way, we need some help with how can we, you know, take these steps of trust. And what came to mind for me was a psalm that mentions another sense, another one of our, sense, our, our senses. It mentions taste. One of my favorites, Psalm 34, 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and, and you'll just know it, <laughs> that the Lord is good. That's helpful there because, you know, if we think of taste in a good way, <laughs> um, taste kind of bypasses our reflective part of our brains and all of that. You know, when you taste something and you like it, you just like it. You just know that you like it. You don't really need to know what, when, what ingredients are in it. You don't need to know how much work went into preparing it. You know, you just, you just like it. Kids are the same all the way to adulthood. And I, I see that as our clue here. As we trust God, as we take steps with God, we're just going to, as we taste God, we're just going to know that it's good. We can't explain it, but it gives us peace. We don't know how it's working, but it gives us hope. We can't justify it to our, our friends maybe, but we just know that we're on the right track here. And that's the clue. That's the ticket to, to moving forward in this. That, I think, provides that, that security, that, that uh, motivation to take these maybe sometimes scary steps, sometimes even painful steps. And it's not to say that understanding doesn't eventually enter into the picture. After all, we're talking about growth in wisdom here. But it's that I take that as very helpful and very important in moving forward, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. But, again, this involves humility, all of it. And, and that's a word that I keep coming back to in my own life, and I'm sure I'll mention again and again from here that all of this is about humility. It's about surrendering. It's about a sober understanding that, yeah, I don't have it figured out, that I need to rely on God, that I can't do this without God's help. And that is a hard step to take, but it's so crucial. That humility is the, is the key in this. But it's worth it. The Proverbs are filled with, with you know, these beautiful pictures of why it's so worth it to do it. And the one we've read already, when we lean on God, when we lean on God instead of our own understanding, it says this is the path back to life, to goodness, to even refreshment to your inner self. And that sounds pretty good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm, I'm finished now with that. And love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this or, you know, just want to chat, feel free to email me or, you know, pull me aside today or whatever. Love to, to talk more. Um, I'd love, and now I'd like to invite the, the worship team to, to, to lead us in one more song. And, uh, yeah, while they're coming up, let's, let's just pray for a moment. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, just thank you for who you are. Thank you that 
that you know what's good, that you probe for what's good, that you know our hearts, you see past the appearances, uh, you see past um, the, you know, the lies that we tell ourselves and all of that. And it's not in a judgmental sort of way where you're, where you're standing back and saying, oh, you got into this mess, now try and figure it out. <laughs> you're saying, no, like, I love you and I want to help. You approach this with such grace and a desire to turn, things, turn us around and to, to guide us into what's truly good for us. So we, we praise you in that. And here today, all of us, I'm sure, are in different circumstances where we're kind of like, okay, I, I can't really see much further here in terms of the right step to take. I'm not very clear on what is the good thing here for me to pursue or for me to do. So help us to, to trust you. Help us to keep leaning on you and, and keep coming to your Holy Spirit, to hear from your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would guide us. That we could also keep reminding ourselves that the best thing we can do is to taste and see that the Lord is good, that you're always good. At the end of the day, isn't that the truth, that you are good for us, and we can rest assured on that. No matter the circumstance, if you're with us, there's goodness there. If you're with us, there's love there, and that brings hope, that brings peace. So help us to remember that as well. We thank you for that. So it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.